Martin Steinbeck. I can't hit a tennis ball, laments Serena Williams. And here's the shocking part. They really did say those things. They are among the huge number of immensely talented people who have such deep-seated self-doubt that they just don't see what the rest of us see. They live in fear of being found out for the talentless frauds they think they are. They genuinely believe they are charlatans who have got where they are because of other people's failure to spot their lack of talent. It really is a thing. It's called imposter syndrome. Uh, and it's quite different from uh, false modesty, where someone says, oh, I don't really deserve this honour, when it's clear they think they do deserve this honour, and many more besides. Here are some more sufferers of extreme and, to our eyes, shockingly low self-image. Hugo Grotius the man who in the 17th century invented the modern legal system that is the bedrock of democracy. I have accomplished nothing worthwhile in my life. Really? What about that whole modern legal system that is the bedrock of democracy thing? John Quincy Adams, the sixth president, my life has been spent in vain and idle aspirations and in ceaseless rejected prayers that something beneficial to my species would be the result of my existence. Dude! Or Robert Louis Stevenson, the writer of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, who also wrote his own epitaph, here lies one who meant well, who tried a little, and failed much. Well, at least he meant well. Actually, I find this quite endearing. If you're going to have a warped self-image, it's better this than thinking too highly of yourself. At least that's what the Bible suggests, with its emphasis on the original sin of human pride. Sometimes, even the great of this world are blind to their success. Sometimes, they doubt their own abilities. They grow disappointed in themselves. They can even become disillusioned with who they are. In these middle Sundays of Advent, we read about a great and holy man, a spiritual giant in the history of mankind, but who, when we read about him this morning, is doubtful and disillusioned. John the Baptist. He's in prison because he dared to speak truth to power. The local governor, Herod Antipas, has seduced the wife of his own brother. Now, if John the Baptist is a bull, then the governor, having an affair with his own sister-in-law, is a red rag. So John does what prophets do and denounces Herod's conduct. And Herod does what despots do and have him thrown in prison. And as we pick up the story today, John has possibly been in jail for up to a year. Imagine this wild man of the desert, this bull cooped up in a tiny prison cell month after month. 
And today, some of John's disciples visit their master and give him a report of what's happening on the outside, specifically Jesus, whose ministry is now really taking off. These two, of course, are no strangers. John baptised Jesus. He had called Jesus the Messiah. He had declared loudly that there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But that was then. This is now. Then was when John was free. Now is when he's in jail. Then was when the bull was the king of the riverbank, snorting and stomping on a mission from God, preparing the way, lowering mountains and raising valleys. Now he is benched, caged, silenced. The thrill John felt when he first saw Christ has been strangled by the despair of a prison cell. His belief that here was the Messiah, now choked by disillusionment. His confidence in his own identity as God's messenger, suffocated by self-doubt. That was then. This is now. Is Jesus really the one, or have I made a mistake? Go, my friends, go and find him and ask him if he is the one. And so they do. And when Jesus sees them, his heart skips. What news of John? How is the bull faring locked in his stall? Oh, John, don't doubt in the dark what you knew in the light. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, lepers are healed, the dead are raised, and the poor experience good news. Don't doubt in the dark what you knew in the light. Disappointment, disillusionment, and doubt. Suffering will do that to you. Isolation and loss will do that to you. If they did it to John the Bull, then we can expect it too. Disappointment, disillusionment, and doubt. The astronaut Jim Irwin was interviewed by Spanish media shortly after his trip to the moon on Apollo 15. He was asked, "What did you feel when you stepped out of the capsule and your feet touched the surface of the moon?" Irwin disturbs me with his reply. It was one of the most profoundly disillusioning moments of my life. All my life, I have been enchanted by the romance and the mystery of the moon. I sang love songs under the moon. I read poems by moonstruck poets. I embraced my lover in the moonlight. I looked up in wonder at the lunar sphere. But that day, when I stepped from the capsule onto the lunar surface and reached down at my feet, I came up with nothing but two handfuls of grey dirt. I cannot describe the loss I felt as the romance and mystery were stripped away. There will be no more moon in my sky. In his prison of disappointment, disillusionment, and doubt, there is no more moon in John's sky. The thing he'd given his life to, the coming of the Messiah, may now just be one big humiliating mistake. 
That was then, but this is now. I don't know, but I suspect that in time, Irwin rekindled his love for the moon. You need time after you have lost something important, like a dream or a hope, even if it was naive. I bet that as the months turned into the years, Irwin looked again at the moon and felt his passion reignite for that lump of rock. I hope so. What a shame it would be for someone to have walked on the surface of the moon and to die years later with such a desolate perspective on that experience. Maybe Irwin could come to love the moon again, but this time without any illusions that it is a magical world of romance and cream cheese over which cows jump. And if he did, as I'm sure he did, then maybe he can give thanks to God for his disillusionment. Because it's only when we become disillusioned with the unreal that we are free to embrace the truth. If you have struggled with disappointment, disillusionment and doubt, then you are the brother of John. I am. So let me ask you a pointed question, so pointed that it might pierce your skin and even draw blood. Have you been disappointed with God? Have you been disillusioned with Jesus? Some of you have heard me talk about my early Christian life. It was born in enthusiasm and shaped by intensity. My faith's most formative years as a young adult were spent in Pentecostal churches and charismatic Anglican parishes. These were rich and exhilarating experiences. Looking back, I believe I saw God do amazing things, even miraculous things. I experienced worship and prayer that crackled with electricity. And I absorbed myself in the Bible in a way that I'm deeply grateful for now. Those years shaped me in ways that nothing else could, and I thank God for them. I have no regrets and no resentment, even though I made many youthful mistakes. But I needed more than victory, glory, and miracle. I needed disappointment, disillusionment, and doubt. I needed to pray and receive no answer. I needed to be ill and not be miraculously healed. I needed to be in deep despair and not have God change my circumstances. I needed to lose my illusions of a transactional God who would give me what I wanted if I believed in him enough. Only when the pillars of fantasy lie at your feet can you build with the bricks of reality. When your image of God is lying in ruins, take heart. This is the beginning of the way back. Not to the old faith you once had, the childish faith in a fairy tale God, but a mature faith in a God who experienced pain, weakness, loss and death, and who lovingly and passionately walks with us now as he calls us to experience the same.
You know the difference between someone's testimony that they became a Christian uh, and then their life became totally smooth and pleasant and the story of Little Red Riding Hood. One is a fantasy, the other is about a little girl who went through the woods to visit Grandma. Far from being the enemy we fear, disillusionment is actually a friend. Until we become thoroughly fed up with a person, a job, a situation that is out of your control, you can't truly receive the blessing that hides deep within it. You shall know the truth, says Jesus, and the truth shall set you free, not illusions. Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was martyred by the Nazis, put it, the sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. In his disillusionment, John turns to Christ. Is it really you, or have I been wrong all this time? Now, you might expect Jesus to rebuke him for his lack of faith. Tell him to stop doubting. That's not the bull I once knew wreaking havoc in the china shop. Shape up and have more faith, cousin. But faith is not the same thing as certainty. God is not impressed with how certain we are. John has enough faith to be honest about his doubt and ask his question. And the scales fall off our eyes. We now see that ultimately this is not a story about John the Bull at all. It's a story about the empathy of Jesus. No hint of rebuke. In fact, quite the opposite. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John. <clears throat> John's suffering has distorted his view of God and himself, but Jesus accepts him as he is and transforms his weakness into an opportunity for relaunch and rebirth. When you're doubting in the dark what you knew in the light, hear the word of the Lord. You are my beloved. Rebuild the rubble of illusions with the stones of reality. Amen.